Well, good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning at Freedom Fellowship. We're going to be jumping into the book of Revelation once again. It's been a great study. We'll be looking at chapter 11 this morning. But before we jump into it, uh, it's a pretty crazy chapter. I think it's good for us to ask the Lord to bless our study time together. So if you'd bow your head with me, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for times like this. that We can carve out to seek you, to get into your word. Father, it's our desire is we've seen from the get-go in the study of Revelation that you have a desire and a heart for your church uh, to get it, Father, to understand the revelation of who you are. So we're asking of you once again, Holy Spirit, please give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say uh, to the church. Church is. God, your word is good. It's truth. We thank you that there are blessings uh, that come, that are promised in the study of this book together. So here we are. We're looking to you. We're so thankful that you are God, that you are alive, and that you are at work, even amidst chaos. Lord, you are doing so much, and we're so thankful for that. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So chapter 11 here. Hope you have your Bible smartphone, whatever, open up to chapter 11 with me of Revelation. Uh, This chapter has been generally acknowledged to be one of the most uh, puzzling, perplexing, confounding, baffling, uh, just most difficult chapter to understand in all of Revelation. And there's this bewildering, you know, intertwining that we have of Old Testament uh, history and the different symbols that we find in it. We have the temple, uh, the altar, Moses, Elijah, the wild olive trees. We see the lampstand spoken of by the prophet uh, Zechariah. We have the plagues that were uh, sent upon uh, Pharaoh. Uh, the beast will come up in this chapter that was predicted by Daniel the prophet, Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem. So what are we to make of all these things? Well, I'm glad you asked because we know Revelation speaks uh, of real things that are really going to happen during the tribulation. We looked at things that have been happening, the things that are and the things that are yet to come. And that's what we've been looking at since chapter six and on. So now... Uh, We consider the people, the places, the events, uh, yet future here. And that is uh, what we see a lot of symbolism being used throughout, but not always. And that's why it makes it so hard to understand uh, what's going on at times. So what is symbolism and what is literal? That's been the great debate Uh, in this book and specifically this chapter set before us. And it can be a challenge uh, at times uh, to really determine which are literal and which are symbolic. So I think it's best for you and for me, for us, uh, to approach the scriptures uh, like this with humility. Um, I think that's always the best approach because we know that when we humble ourselves, God's promised to do what? And give us grace. And that's exactly what we need. So we need to know that in part of this vision, okay, John, the revelator, there on the island of Patmos, 
old man now, last apostle to be alive. He is there and he sees two witnesses uh, to the gospel and to judgment. Uh, supernatural powers for protection is given to them. Fire coming out of their mouths as you know, we see here, in the, I don't know if this is actually uh, what they're going to be wearing. But anyways, that's a, that's a crazy thought. There's no rain. Water turns to blood. Uh, plagues on the earth are demonstrated. The beast arises from the abyss and kills them. Uh, the world rejoices because of it. There, Their bodies are laying dead. Uh, then they're resurrected <laughs> and then they're caught up into heaven earthquakes where many people die uh others give god the glory in all of this so there's a lot taking place here so i want to look at verses one and two uh with you guys this morning so we read here then i was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of god the altar and those who worship there but Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now this does not refer to the Jewish temple standing in Jerusalem during New Testament times, guys. It was destroyed in 70 AD. We know that. And we also know Revelation was written in 90 AD. So the temple was not standing when John uh, penned Revelation here. So perhaps there's a new temple in Jerusalem during the tribulation period, which John is seeing here. Okay, there very well uh, may be this temple um, in Jerusalem during that tribulation period. Or there are several reasons to believe, uh, to actually believe this. And one is found in Daniel chapter 9. If you look here with me, it tells us of the Antichrist. Um, he's going to stop all religious activity. Look at verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So this is the Antichrist. Seven years, okay, a covenant in the middle of the week. So that would be three and a half years into it. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consumption which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place whoever reads let him understand so Jesus warns us guys of the antichrist coming on the scene there in the holy place the temple and there's going to be great tribulation before Christ's return uh, another scripture I think is good for us to get here is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, 
as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So here, the temple in the tribulation period, you can experience this uh, when you go to Israel today. We have the Orthodox Jews walking around in their black uh, clothing, mourning. What are they mourning? What are they so sad about? Because the temple is not built. It is not there for them to go and worship. But we know that will come one day. So perhaps, guys, this is symbolic. Okay, Language that's being used uh, by John in regards to the temple. Not as a building, but as God's people. Um, and that's a normal use of the idea of temple in the New Testament. And I think it's pretty cool. There's a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred references to uh, a temple in the Bible. And more than half of them, what would you say? Found in the Old Testament, okay? Where they made all the sacrifices, came to the temple to worship, or the New Testament? Well, more than half are actually found in the New Testament when it talks about the temple. So, uh, I think of First. Uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 do you not know that you are the temple of God okay speaking to believers also in 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16 we are the temple believers of the living God the apostle Peter 1st Peter 2 5 it talks about believers are those living stones he says being built up a spiritual house Okay, temple, the whole church is growing, we're told in Ephesians 2.21, into a holy temple in the Lord. So again, it could be, I personally believe this is literal. I personally believe that there will be um, a temple standing there. But there are a lot of scriptures that come around this. And again, we want to approach this humbly. So I want to consider with you guys this measuring that's being done here in order to build and to repair. So what is that talking about? Well, you know, if you're looking at it symbolically, then it would be to uh, revive or restore the church. Well, there's two options or kind uh, that represent two ways to view the context here. Um, of this chapter by looking at the content of it, okay? And there are others, but I just want to look at two. There's that more literal uh, perspective of future events during the tribulation, and secondly, the symbolic perspective of these future events that are going to take place during the tribulation period. So let's look and consider just for a moment together, uh, first, the literal uh, perspective, the more literal. So there is actual new temple that's standing in Jerusalem. So as we look at verses one and two here, we'd say, yeah, in the future, the temple will be rebuilt. 
They will worship there again in Israel. So those outside would re represent those nations that have come against her um, during uh, the tribulation. Uh, if you look at verse 3, uh, the period, there will arise two witnesses in the last half of the seven-year period. So verse 3 tells us, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So they are specifically uh, there to witness to unrepentant Israel. I want to look at Zechariah with you guys. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. And a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall spread out through uh, prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion, and I will again choose Jerusalem. And then look over in chapter 2 now, verse 10 and on. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, saying, or says the Lord, Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in their midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his in inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. So I think this is really cool. As the Lord is going to come back, literally ruling and reigning, and all nations are going to come to him. Now we have brothers and sisters who are all millennial out there. They believe that we are actually living in the millennium right now, that Christ is ruling and reigning and everything's been made perfect. At least that's what the scriptures say. But I look around and I say, hey, I don't think he's ruling and reigning. First of all, he's not in Jerusalem. Okay. He's not here on earth ruling and reigning. Um, and you get a lot of bad theology from that type of belief. There's a lot of scriptures you have to ignore to come to that conclusion. And again, it's pretty clear from many of the prophets of, you know, John here in Revelation of Daniel in the last days uh, that it is a literal uh, reign of Christ here for a thousand years. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. But we need to move on. I want to look at verse 5 with you guys here because we have this superna uh, supernatural enabling uh, of these two witnesses to fulfill their ministry. Look at verse 5. It says, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So verse 6, these may be Elijah and Moses. We don't know for sure. But it says, These have the power to shut heaven so no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire second kings chapter 1 exodus 4 9 
Moses, Elijah, the law, and the prophets there. Uh, maybe it's two people who come in the spirit of these two. Not sure. But the Antichrist, if you look at verse 7 here, he will come on the scene and he's going to kill them. We're told when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So their bodies will be seen by and celebrated over the whole world. And I think that's kind of cool to think about. Okay, the entire world is going to see this happen. Well, how can that happen? Say the tribulation begins. Okay, and these two guys come on the scene and they begin to pronounce the gospel and the judgment of God and we're in the woes here of Revelation. How is the whole world going to see these guys die and lie there? Well, I think it's pretty darn cool because I can go on this computer right here, right now, and I can get a live feed from Israel and see what's going on in the holy streets there. <laughs> Isn't that cool to think about? People all over the world. Okay, It's crazy how many people have access now to see what's going on really in any part of the world if they want to. Anyways, uh, let's move on and look at verses 8, 9, and 10 together here. Um, we're told that their bodies um, are going to be seen by the world. It says their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spirit, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then... Those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So they will be resurrected, re resurrected here, guys. Uh, for all to see as they're taken up to heaven. Look at verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So there will be guys um, an act of judgment that takes place on earth. Um, it's going to be a great earthquake, okay, uh, or also an earthquake um, for those who have rejected their witness, okay? Uh, and the same thing's going on, okay? I'm a, I'm a dispensationalist. It's easy to look at the Bible, say, uh, as a play being played out. And if you've ever gone to a play, we have Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4. Well, since Christ came, okay, the law, to fulfill the law, okay, Old Testament, man couldn't do it, okay, in the perfect conditions, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had everything, okay, they didn't have that sin nature, uh, but they chose to believe the serpent, Satan, over God, um, and of course, love demands a choice. And we've seen since then, God gave man opportunity. Hey, you know, listen to your conscience. They couldn't do that. Hey, I'm going to start over with you, Noah. 
you're going to be uh, the governor. Well, the problem is he couldn't govern himself. The people could not govern themselves. We look at our government today, man, a lot of messed up people, <laughs> okay? And that's what we look to. That's what we're going to place our hope in. They're going to save us? I don't think so. And of course, the law coming, okay? Um, he gave promises to Abraham. Abraham being a man of faith, couldn't even hold on to those promises. Then the law came and we're good at breaking the law, every single one of us. I mean, if we just look at just 10, the big 10, uh, we've all lied, okay, stolen, cheated. Uh, it's just in our nature, okay? We are a sinful people, and we're good at breaking laws. Even with new laws that come up, hey, how can we get around this? Um, but that's the beauty of why God had to become a man and become a perfect sacrifice for you and I, guys. Do you understand that's... Uh, what we're living in right now since Christ came okay, and lived that perfect life, became that perfect sacrifice upon that tree 2,000 years ago. He paid for the sins of the world. There is redemption that's found in him. There is a gift that's been given. And anyone who receives that gift will actually take it by faith is saved. They are forgiven. We're saved by grace through faith is what the Bible says. And I love that. But we know that that time is going to come to an end when this tribulation begins. Okay, the Holy Spirit is removed at that time. Um, the church is taken out, those believers in Christ. And he begins to deal with Israel. That last seven years of Jacob's trouble that was prophesied there in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and on. But anyways, the point is, guys, people are going to see this happen, okay? There's going to be these witnesses um, to all that these two men were uh, preaching, prophesying, um, and there's going to be others who repent and actually give God glory. And it always comes down to choice, okay? We have a choice now. You have a choice, okay? Either you received Christ or you reject Christ, that's the only thing that matters in this life. You may be like, hey, Pastor Landon, cool t-shirt today, Team Jesus. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, it's all about being on the right team, guys. When all is said and done, I want to be on the winning team. The victory is already won in Christ. It's been declared. I mean, God even knowing the future, he knows all things. I mean, he's laying it out pretty clearly. Yeah, these have been pretty crazy chapters we've been studying but let me tell you what, the end of the book's pretty good. So I hope you guys um, have put your, your hope and your faith in Christ uh, because that's the only way uh, to eternal life, to forgiveness of sins, to be brought into God's family. So either you're on his team, you've given your allegiance to him, you've repented from the things of this world, from sin, from self, and hey, you're my God, you're my king. I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to uh, listen to you. You're my Lord. And for those who reject the good king, the king of kings, our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, uh, Jesus Christ, if you haven't, guess who your king is? Well, God says you are a son of Satan's. You're on a bad team. Your allegiance is to a bad king. Well, I haven't given my allegiance to Satan. Well, guys, we are all under some authority. And if you're not a child of the true king, Jesus Christ, 
uh, you're a child of Satan. You are in your sin, okay? How do I know that's true? Well, you have to sin. <laughs> you're a sinner. You're going to continue to sin. You're going to continue to rebel against God. Your sins are not going to be forgiven, okay? A believer's sin is forgiven. That's the big picture. That's why Christ came. That's why the victory was won. That's the truth. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, and that's the truth, guys. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. So I would encourage you, if you are an unbeliever, you need to repent today. God loves you. <laughs> He's giving you an out. He's giving you an invitation to the winning team. But that's your choice, okay? Some of us are just fans of bad teams, okay? Um, and that's a bummer because you have a choice. You can pick the winning team. And, yeah, praise God for Team Jesus. Let's move on. Um, yeah, verse 13. Let me pull it up here for you guys. It tells us, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the cities fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So this is pretty cool stuff. Um, I do want to take a moment and look um, just at more of a symbolic view of these verses or perspective. Because um, I want you guys to see where people are coming at. And it's one of these things I've taught Revelation a few times now. And every time I come back and specifically get into uh, this chapter I always revisit because there are a lot of uh, different men that I really respect as Bible teachers and they don't always agree on everything and that's okay. But what we want to do is humble ourselves, okay? What does the scripture say? I think there's safety in taking it literal in times that it's not clearly um, told to be symbolic. But just considering a more symbolic view for a moment with you guys, the temple language that we uh, read of then in verses 1 and 2 would speak not to a literal temple, but the church, okay, representing the church. And those on the inside are the church. Those that would be on the outside would be the persecutor. The two witnesses would represent the church then being a witness to the world. Um, Jesus sent out his disciples out in twos, right? Uh, people throughout Luke 10, 1. I don't see that really fitting, but that's a verse they go to. Um, also, if we look at verse 4, um, again, they say uh, that these olive trees, okay, uh, represent lamps, the lampstands uh, and the olive trees. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Um and also, if you want to turn there with me, I want to read to you from Zechariah chapter 4. So turn to Zechariah. It's towards the end. We'll take a look at verses 2 to 14. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2 to 14. Speaking of Zerubbabel and Joshua here, look at verse 2. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, 
and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So I answered and I spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to, to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth a capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and I said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So, prince, priest, <laughs> the church. Uh, we consider the church being a royal priesthood, right? Uh, we read of that in 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as we read there in Zechariah, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it's not by might nor by power, but my, my spirit, says the Lord. So as we consider all of this, um, the miracles that are going to take place and connection uh, to the church represent God's protection of her in verse 5 back in Revelation and also the authoritative power to her um, in verse 6. So to witness and pronounce judgment, okay? Chapter 5, verse 14. Let me read that for you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make your words in your mouth fire in this people wood, and it shall devour them. I think about that sometimes um, when I'm teaching, preaching the word of God. You know, I want to be spitting fire, okay? Because that's God's word. I mean, it should... Uh, it should refine us, the refiner's fire, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit. It should fire us up, guys. Uh, anyways, the beast that we read about. Uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter 11. In verse 7, if you look there again, 
antichrist, okay? Um, but if you're looking at it symbolically, people would want to say, well, that's uh, just the spirit of anti-Christian, uh, you know, the world powers that be. And we see that today. Um, the media is throwing out whatever. We'll talk to whatever. What do you think? What do they think? Hey, we found this guy over here. He thinks this and that. But when it comes down to what Christians think, especially those who are born again Christian, Bible-believing Christians, you born again Christians, they have us, you know, set aside. You guys, you know, you're 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 a crew over here. We know who you are, and you're a little little different than everybody else. And we don't like what you have to say because you keep telling us that we need Jesus and, and we need to repent and turn to Him. We need to turn back to God. Uh, we don't want to do that, anyways. Um, it, yeah, the powers in the world are seeking to silence the church. These witnesses uh, here, the church's witness. Uh, the church will be uh, in a place where it's eradicated um, in verses 8 to 10. You'd have to look at it that way. The church will be vindicated by God's uh, indestructible witness in verse 11, uh, symbolically speaking, of course. And then the church has always risen from the ashes uh, as we consider just persecutions, martyrdoms throughout the ages, right? Um, so it's kind of a picture there. Hopefully that's helpful. But you're probably asking, well, which is it? <laughs> is it literal? You know, uh, is it symbolic? Um, is it more literal? <laughs> is it more symbolic? Uh, God has and could literally do all of this. That's the one thing I want us to know. Is it for sure? I don't really know. Okay. Do I think so? Probably because I read so many prophecies, you know, well, that couldn't have been literal. And then you look at the fulfillment and how God did it. And it was literal, just like he said. Uh, I want to share with you guys a quote by Bruce Metzger. Uh, he says, perhaps the most that can be said with God or be said with confidence is that the author views the people of God as bearing faithful testimony, but also suffering pain, persecution, indignation. Uh, <clears throat> they are delivered not from martyrdom and death, but through martyrdom and death to the glorious resurrection. I like that. So no matter who or what we interpret these witnesses um, and how they're connected, the details may be. Uh, there's three uh, overreaching truths that we find in this chapter regardless. And I want to uh, consider that with you guys. First of all, God, once again, through other means, uh, is endeavoring to call people to repentance. That's what we see in this chapter. Sinful people that he loves, he wants to forgive and to save rather than judge. That's one thing we're seeing for sure. Another one is, though evil appears to triumph, it does not. And then the third thing I want us to see is God's purposes prevail and his people are vindicated. So it is true at the end this is true at all times and all places, and it's true in your life. 
Think of the scriptures. Lazarus <laughs> died, rose again. Uh, Jesus brought him back to life. You think of the cross itself, okay? You think about the witnesses who were martyred. Uh, you. I mean, there are things we all go through. So where does it feel like evil has won? Where do you see that? Where do you feel that? Well, let's start wrapping this up. Look at verse 14 with me here. In Revelation 11, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that you should reward your servant, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. So as we consider this last section of chapter 11, do you guys see here the kingdom of Christ is coming in verse 15? I look forward to that day. Well, how long is it going to be? I don't know, guys. Okay? Jesus made it very clear what will be going on in the last days leading up to this tribulation time. Uh, the things that we are seeing going on in the world uh, is very unique from all of history. Um, and we're seeing prophecy filled, fulfilled right before our eyes. Okay, uh, For those who have bad theology, they don't know what to do with Israel being back in the land. Uh, them actually being a state in Jerusalem, now their capital, just like the Bible said would happen in the last days. Uh, but when we just take the word of God literally, uh, we trust him and believe him. We're seeing prophecy being fulfilled more than any other time in history right now. And that's pretty exciting. But we also know God's heart is long-suffering, desiring none to perish. So I don't know if we have another day, another year, another decade. I don't know. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but we know it's, it's soon. We're getting a lot closer than we've ever been. Also, if you look at verse 17 here with me, uh, we see God's great power will be made evident on the earth, uh, which is pretty cool. Verse 18 talks about his justice and judgment and retribution and reward. And then verse 19, okay, the way is opened to the ark of God, okay, which, guys, that represents the presence of God. And there is nothing better. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Acts uh, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, repent, <laughs> that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. And there is nothing better than being in 
his presence. And how does that happen? Again, you repent, you turn to him. Okay, we've been made, created to worship, to enjoy our creator. And unless we're willing to turn to him, to trust him, okay, to abide in him, to draw near to him, uh, we're missing out on the greatest joys of this life. And that's the thing that is so neat, okay? Even in times that are, are hard <laughs> and we're struggling, the thing that's most needed is that we press in to him. Um, and he's there. And it's going to be cool to finally see him face to face. I look forward to the rapture of the church. Come up here, okay? Like you said to the two witnesses, that's going to happen. Um, but whatever, okay? Uh, when he comes back to earth, you know, just finally having God with us in that way, it's going to be awesome. But for us who are born again, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? He comes and he makes his home, his abode in us. We have relationship with him and we can enjoy his presence in that way now. In the ultimate promise of our communion with him, it's really through the blood of Christ. Um, and that's where I just want to encourage you guys. we got to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to keep looking to the cross to remember his love, how much he loved us, all that he did to take care of our situation, our separation from him has been taken away. Nothing is holding us back. All you need to do is come to him by faith to receive. And then I love the last part. Um, in verse 16, let me throw this back up for you guys. Did you guys catch verse 16 here? We have those 24 elders, okay? Uh, they fall down uh, there on their faces, worshiping God. And I'd love to ask you the question, when's the last time you ate some carpet, actually got down on your face before the Lord? Uh, that is good to do. Why? Because he's worthy. It is right for us to do. He needs to be worshipped. And that's one thing I think that happens when we are in his presence. Okay, We just begin to, to worship in spirit and in truth. And that is my prayer for you guys this week. Is that you would be uh, just enjoying him and worshipping him. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of things always to be doing but one thing's needed, guys. Sit at his feet. Enjoy Jesus today, this week, every day until we finally get to see him face to face. So, Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word once again. Lord, we could have spent a lot more time just in considering uh, just all these things laid out before us here in chapter 11 of Revelation. Lord, we may not totally get it, but we know one thing is sure, that all the promises that you give us are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And you promised, Lord, to come back. Lord, to be with us, to set every wrong right. Lord, to finally usher in peace. That's what this world is looking for. That is what every human being is so desiring and the deepest parts of their being is being at peace with their maker. And they don't know how to do that. They can't do that. Even to the point they're willing to just reject you because they don't get it. But it's that simple. 
It's accepting by faith to finally find that peace, that peace that you've promised to give, not as the world gives, but as you alone can give, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I would pray right now for those listening in, God, who have been far from you, God, who have not bowed the knee to you, or that your Holy Spirit would enlighten their eyes right now, they would cry out to you, they would ask you, Jesus, to forgive their sins, God, to forgive all and come into relationship with you to have eternal life. That's what you do, and you alone are uh, the only one who can save. We see that so much as we study this book. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, Father. I do pray for all, Lord, that your peace, God, would just, um, just be reality as we walk with you, as we share you with others, God. This world needs hope, and you're it. God, you are the hope of this world. So we look to you in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining uh, in here this morning with us. Um, May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week. We'll be jumping into Revelation chapter 12, Lord willing, if he doesn't come first. (laughs) Peace. God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash kakanachurch.